0: Hi there, and welcome to the 32nd episode of All of the Above. This is Sean Duran, and I'm going solo this round. Uh, Sam and Brian are actually off vacationing together in the Carolinas. It's a uh, super cute. So now onto the show. As as a heads up, it's aimed at designers. So if you are one, cool. If you aren't, but you want to learn more, that's awesome as well. If you aren't and you don't want to learn more, well, just forward this along to someone that you feel like would get something out of it. That'd be awesome. So, have you ever felt overwhelmed with your design project? Just having too many things to keep track of? Well, today I'm gonna be sharing a system I use to manage my projects that helps keep me focused on solving the real problems instead of worrying about what I'm missing. It'll help you by giving you a structurized approach of wrangling a website design that you can give to a front-end developer or even implement yourself. It'll also give you the peace of mind that you haven't overlooked anything. It allows you to spend most of your time solving your client's problems rather than worrying about what you've missed. So think of designing like a mathematician. So whether it's designing a website, a mobile app or something in between, there are five parts to the design equation. Constants, variables, constraints, maximums and minimums. When confronted with a large project, it's helpful to identify what bucket each element of the screen falls into. From there, it's easier to iterate and refine towards a final solution. So let's explore these in a little more detail. But before we can do that, there's one methodology that will help you out immensely, and it's called atomic design. Unlike print design, designing digital products like websites and apps led themselves to so many variables that are outside of your control that it can get overwhelming. And atomic design is a way to break down the individual components of a website into manageable chunks that make it easily maintainable and scalable. Atomic design is a concept that Brad Frost first presented in 2013, and he's been refining it ever since. And he even created Pattern Lab. It's a tool to help implement this approach to front-end web development. Links to this and everything else I talk about will be in the show notes. You can find that at alloftheabove.audio/episodes thirty two. Also, if you're using a modern podcast player, such as Overcast or Downcast or anything like that, you should be able to go to the Now Playing section, see this episode that you're listening to, and you should be able to see the show notes. Cool. So, Pattern Lab breaks down the webpage into five building blocks. They are atoms, molecules, organisms, templates, and then pages. So the idea behind Atomic Design is to create reusable patterns through combining atoms, molecules, and organisms to create templates. With these templates, they can be translated into specific pages. The deeper dive into what each group is and how it's defined can be found on Pattern Lab's About page, which again is in the show notes, or it's patternlab.io slash about.html But I'll provide a basic overview. Atoms, These are the single solitary building blocks of a web page. These would be your headers like H1, H2, H3, buttons, and input fields. Just single entities that live by themselves. They aren't really that useful alone. Molecules. Take one atom and combine it with another atom. There's your molecule. Cool. Yeah, it can have more than two atoms. But the goal is that the molecule performs one function and it performs it well. Take a block quote with a citation at the end of it. That would be combining the block quote atom with the citation atom to create that molecule. Organisms. Organisms are combinations of molecules and or atoms. Uh, You can really combine them in whatever way you see fit. The best example of an organism would be a header. And later in this podcast, I'll pick apart a header of a Facebook page and identify each element within it so you can understand what I mean by atoms, molecules, and organisms. Then there's a template. This would be a fully composed layout of what kinds of information should be displayed on the page, but not actually filled in with information. Take your own desktop version of your Facebook profile page, for example, template. It helps to print up your own Facebook page, so go ahead and pause this. If you don't have a Facebook page, do a Google image search for Facebook profile page 2015. I'll wait. Do you have it set in front of you? Awesome. So this is where I'm gonna break it down. So I'll be starting with the header, just like I promised a little bit ago, breaking down that organism. And I'm gonna be calling it an organism because it's comprised of atoms and molecules to do a function. And that is main navigation and search within Facebook. So this is a header. Going from left to right, there is the Facebook logo. That would be an atom. After that is the search molecule. That molecule is comprised of a search box, input text, and a magnifying glass search button. Those all will be atoms combined form the search molecule. To the right of that, a little bit farther down the road, is the user molecule. That's comprised of a profile picture, which is, happens to be 25 by 25 pixels, and my first name, or your first name, or the first name of whoever is logged into Facebook. Those both atoms combined together create a user molecule. After that, there's a diviner, that's an atom. After that is home, just the word spelled out. That's also an atom. This is styled in the same way as whoever's logged in. So these are the same atom, just used in different ways. Then there's friend requests, messages, notifications, divider, and then privacy and count settings. Individually, they are all atoms. Lumped together, they become a molecule. There isn't really a wrong or right way but there are standards and conventions that you want to fit into it. So all those pieces and parts together form the header as an organism. So as you scroll down and look at the page, you can identify more of these building blocks. So the top section after the header, I would call that an organism. It contains a cover photo, a profile picture, first name, buttons, tab navigation, a lot of stuff. But altogether, it comprises a core function. It shows you who the person is. If it's yourself, it has your cover photo, your profile picture. If it's not yours, it will be filled in with other things, such as that other person's profile picture or a fan page. That being said, this is where templates come into play. They all follow the same set of rules. The content, though, might be different. So a template for a profile page that is yours would have that camera icon on top of the cover photo or on top of the profile picture to show that you can change it. But a template for a profile that isn't yours or a fan page that isn't yours would not have that camera icon. So hopefully that makes sense. If not, head over to Pattern Lab and there's a demo there that you can see all the basic building blocks of this demo page and seeing how they classify what an atom, molecule, organism are, and how they work with templates and pages. Now onto the equation. Hopefully you know what atomic design is now and have a rough idea or a pretty good idea of what it is and how it could help you identify and design reusable patterns. The goal of atomic design is not to design for every situation, but to create these little building blocks that are used in specific use cases and make sure that they can be reused in different use cases. So, now on to the equation. Now that we know what atomic design is, and how you can help identify and design reusable patterns. So with constants. When you're working in an agile environment, it sometimes feels as if the only constant is change itself. But within a project, there are things that become staples and will never change. Or at least, they hopefully won't change for an extended period of time. Constants can be such items as brand logos, company or product name, the color palette, typography, or and existing content. These are more or less the essentials to a basic website. Hopefully there has been some content inventory of the existing content and only the things that need to exist do. That way you can trim away the stuff that doesn't need to exist. Other than those basic fundamental parts of a website, there are tons of other constants that are used within a website. With that being said, most constants will interact with variables. An example would be a button. Within that button, there will be some string of text. That text is a variable. And we'll continue with that button idea. The character length of the text that will be inside this button is unknown. So you should create guidelines as to what constraints there will be when writing text for this particular button. Taking a step back, the biggest variable is the dimensions of the canvas That your end product will be consumed at with the website you can mean anything from a 100 by 100 pixel tiny screen to a 80 inch touch screen television if that isn't daunting i don't know what is this isn't an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper this is a live interactive website don't think of it as a magazine think of it as a way to show a magazine in so many different variations and forms. And ensuring that the user experience at the end, no matter how they're viewing it, will be amazing. So with constraints, these are the limitations within the project. Some examples could be browser compatibility. If you have to support Internet Explorer 8, that is a huge thing to know before you actually start. That will inform all of your design decisions going forward. Hopefully you can talk someone out of it, but if not, I uh, I feel, yeah. <laughs> then there's operating system support, or performance size and speed, and bandwidth concerns. Other than technological constraints, there are design constraints for both minimum and maximum values. A maximum value could be line length. When dealing with the presentation of information, there are certain thresholds in place to help avoid things becoming a sprawling mess. When presenting a list of news articles, and bringing back the idea of tonic design, that entire organism could be made up of an image, a headline, a descriptor, and some metadata, such as the author, time posted, and number of comments. During this process, there should be a content strategy in place, because if a news article had a headline that was 300 characters long, it would break the design. Establishing a maximum character limit could avoid that outlier from happening. For headlines that were longer than 60 characters, there could be then two headlines. One that will be seen on the actual article page. The other will be the shorter version that is displayed elsewhere on the website. Using real data has been invaluable, especially when it comes to user testing. But also when designing. If you're working on an existing product, being able to test new designs with a real user with their real data yields an order of magnitude better insights and feedback. Something as simple as passing in a user ID or having them authenticate their account and pulling sampling of data allows users to react beyond the surface level of a design and give you profoundly better feedback about the viability and usability of a feature. Also, when you have real content, it means less rework. The amount of time you need to change what you've made is exponentially relative to the number of changes and how complex the project you're working on is. It also means less headaches when translating a design from mock-up to code. It also helps when you're defining constraints, maximums, minimums, and variables. For example, if you have a username that can only be a certain character length, then you have a guideline for that piece of content. Everything that is implemented should be to elevate the content and help people complete whatever actions they need to, as well as balancing it with the goals of the business. There are a couple websites and tools out there that help bring in Mock data to make sure that you aren't using Lorem Epsom. The one that I use is called Mockaroo. That is M O C K A R O O dot com. That link will also be in the show notes. I use this with another tool called Sketch. I do almost all of my designs in there. What's great about Sketch is that you can have plugins that extend the functionality of the program. One that's great and works great with Mockaroo is one called Sketch Data Populator. And I recommend if you do use Sketch before you actually get a plugin, there's another program out there called Sketch Toolbox. It is a free download. What's cool about it, it's a plugin manager. So it looks at GitHub and then finds all the Sketch plugins that exist. And you can easily install it with one click. And then also, you can update your plugins right from the Sketch Toolbox. So I recommend downloading the Sketch toolbox, if you do use Sketch. And if you don't, I actually had just taught a workshop on it going over A through Z about Sketch. And it's about two hours long. I really go into detail as to what Sketch can do. That link will also be in the show notes. And with A through Z, I took the alphabet approach because it's a bit easier when you're actually using Sketch. And you can remember what I said based on the letter. So yeah, download Sketch. If you haven't already and you want to get into some cool design tools as an alternative to Illustrator or Photoshop, download the Sketch Toolbox app and then search for Sketch Data Populator. From there, you can create templates within your Sketch file. And within one click of a button, you can populate it with mock data. So that way you aren't spending time trying to make up fake names or just using John Doe everywhere you are. Now with minimums. When dealing with the web, there's a whole landscape of devices and screen sizes. Having someone use their watch to view the web page you designed isn't out of the realm of possibility with some Android Wear devices. How your website will appear in such circumstances. That's where a mobile-first approach to design is beneficial, both in how it's designed, but also in how it's coded. Instead of using media queries to target smaller sizes, you have to flip that way of thinking. And use media queries to extend the design beyond the smallest screen sizes and device capabilities, not the other way around. Luckily, there are some tried-and-true methodologies that have been curated by some smart people to help manage the ever-changing digital landscape, such as uh, Ethan Marcotte's Responsive Web Design. It's a book, and it's great. I recommend you read it right now. Also, Luke Robelsky's, hopefully I said his name right, Mobile First, also a book. Also amazing. So hopefully that was enough to get you started and thinking about organizing and structuring your content and making sure that too much of the wrong work. So that was episode 32 of All of the Above. If you enjoyed this episode, you can go to audio slash review to leave us a rating on iTunes. That'd be awesome. It'd be even better if you told a friend about this. It would be a bonding moment. We're also on Twitter as at Above Podcast. And you can find me at SPJPGRD. Or if you go to all of the above.audio slash episodes slash thirty-two. You have the links to everything that I talked about and more. So until next time, design responsibly.